Father in heaven, we have been blessed in this worship service with songs of thanksgiving, the giving of our tithes and offering, and praise the Lord for the gift of music. And we pray that as we pause for a few moments this morning to reflect on your word, that the divine teacher, the Holy Spirit, would assist us and apply the message that we need personally, individually, to our hearts today. Lord, we need your help, and we thank you that you've promised to give us the Holy Spirit when we ask. For we ask these things not in our own name, but in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have not already, I invite you to open your Bibles to our study for today um, and our scripture. It's taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and our scripture reading was from 17 and 18. It was actually verse 18, but I want to back up and read verses 12 through 18. Then I'll pick it apart with you a little bit, make some observations, and then by the grace of God, apply it to our lives this morning in our study. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies upon their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a lot that we can focus on in this passage, but I want to focus this morning in our study on verse 18, our scripture reading and go through the different components of this verse. Notice that it begins with the phrase, but we all with, what does it say? But we all with unveiled face. Now, what is he talking about? We talked about this in our children's story. Remember when Moses went into the mountain, Mount Sinai, to talk with God? He came down from the mountain, and the Bible says that his face was illuminating or radiating with the presence of God, and that radiation, radiation, that illumination was so bright that the children of Israel had to put a veil over Moses' face. And Paul here is making an application, saying that today we can look at the face of Jesus, but we don't have to look through a veil. Praise God for that. Praise God. We can look directly at the face of God, clothed in humanity, and see the glory of God with unveiled face. 
And then the next word here is beholding. In the original language, this is not just a glance. This is not just a look. This is a continual beholding. The tense here in the original is a nonstop beholding, a continuation of this action without an end. So this is not just a glance at Jesus, a look at Jesus, but continually looking at Jesus. When we hear the word behold, it's not something that we're familiar with, and the, the only word that I could come up with that to me describes what beholding is trying to come across or bring across is the word contemplate, and the word contemplate means to thoughtfully look at a long time. Some synonyms are to take in, to reflect upon, to meditate, or to ponder. So the Bible is telling us to contemplate, to meditate, to ponder the face of Jesus. It says, beholding as in a mirror, and then the next phrase here that we want to focus on is the glory of the Lord. Now, when I read this word glory for years, I assumed that this glory was like this radiance, this brightness that would come from the presence of God, and it does apply to that, but the Bible indicates that it is something more than this as well, and very quickly, I invite you to go in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, we talked about this in our children's story, Moses is on Mount Sinai, and in verse 18, he makes a request of God, and he says, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see my face and live. And the Lord God said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, and so shall it be. When the glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. There's a song. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Well, that's where it comes from. And I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God says in his mercy, you can't see my face and live, so I'm going to put you in this crack, in this crevice of the rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to pass by, and as I pass by, I'm going to remove my hand, and I just imagine Moses peeking out, radiation, radiating glory emanating from the back of God and sees the back of God. And that look was enough so that the children of Israel couldn't see look into the face of Moses, had to put a veil on him. That's what we're talking about here. But notice what God said when he said, I will show you my glory. He said, I will make my goodness pass before you. I'll be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I believe the reason that the presence of God radiates with the brightness is because of who he is. Amen? It's because of his character. So when we, re when we talk about the, 
the glory of God, we're really talking about His character. We are talking about the beauty of His character. So when we put it together, we, with unveiled face, beholding, continuing to contemplate the character of God, it says that we are being transformed. Here, the tense again is that we are not transformed and then we're done. We are always in a state of transformation. In other words, it's not about becoming. In other words, it's not about just being. It's about becoming, as someone said in our Sabbath school class today. We are always in a state of transformation. So as we are beholding, we are all becoming. We are being transformed into the same image. The same image of Jesus we are becoming by His grace. In the last part, it says, from glory to glory. In other words, from one state of transformation to another state of transformation. We can never say that we've arrived. This is a continual, progressive process. And so I've summarized this the best as I can, best as possible, by saying that we, while we are beholding Jesus, we are continually being transformed into the character of Jesus. This is a continual process that is never-ending. When I was going through college, there was a class that we had to take that was required for all religion majors, for all theology majors, and it was homiletics. And one of the activities that we had to do for this class was to get in front of the whole school, faculty, students from other majors, and give a worship, worship talk. It was only, I think you only got 10 minutes out of the worship talk. There were three of you back to back, and it was 10 minutes, and if you know anything about public speaking, it scares you to death. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, every time I preach, there's, there's a little bit of just like an edge of nervousness before you get up, and hopefully that goes away. But uh, anyway, so, so we were intimidated, we were scared. Not only that, but the entire homiletics class would have evaluation forms that they would fill out, and then they would share it with the whole group, Later on that afternoon, during the class, it was just so intimidating. And then you would sit down with the professor, and he would watch a video with you and give you personal critiques. Painful. I hope they burned that video from that year. Well, anyways, in preparation for this, needless to say, I wanted to be prepared. So for a week after week after week, I listened to this man, Charles Bradford. North American Division president, eloquent, well-read. And so I listened to him hour after hour after hour, same sermon, over and over and over again. And then I got up to preach. And when I was done, one of my African-American brothers came to me and said, David, you preached like a brother. And I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, just so you know, I believe in my estimation, there is nothing even in the stratosphere like African-American preaching. 
let me tell you. The elocution, the oration, and the delivery, and the cadence is just sublime. And so as I was listening to him and, and so forth, I said, what do you mean you preach like a brother? And so I sat down with my professor, and he played the tape of it, and I could not believe it. If you, you've ever seen an Asian man <laughs> preach like a brother, it was that sermon. I sounded like a black, black preacher. And it was just, I was like, that is so weird to watch that. And I said, what happened? Well, I mean, what happened to me? I mean, this is, this is, this is so weird. Well, what had happened was by beholding, I had become changed. By constantly listening to the cadence and the oration and the elocution and the delivery of Charles Bradford, it was just in me. And so when I got up to preach, that's what came out. That's what came out. And this is a natural law of how we are transformed. We behold and then we become. I've been reading this book this week, Under the Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot. I highly recommend reading this book. And if you ever want to be rebuked about desiring a comfortable life of ease, this book will teach you something about sacrifice. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, I was reading this book, I said, Lord, forgive me for, for desiring a selfish love of ease. And here she recounts the life of Jim Elliot. And Jim Elliot was a missionary to Ecuador, and he and his missionary friends were murdered. And through his martyrdom, it began in the evangelical community a wave of missionaries desiring to go overseas. Powerful, powerful. But I'm going to share with you a couple quotes from Jim Elliot. He says, uh, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Father, make me a man of crisis. Bring those I contact to a decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork. The man must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. I mean, this was the type of individual that he was, and he made the decision in Ecuador uh, that if he was attacked to not retaliate because he said, look, I'm ready to go, and these individuals aren't. So he gave his life in martyrdom. I mean, tremendous individual. And you see his experience through Wheaton College in this book. And, and I want to read this excerpt from his book, talking about his college years. It says, Jim set his alarm every night to waken him in time for prayer and the study of the Bible. None of it gets old, he says, for it is Christ in print, the living word. He began spending an hour before breakfast in the Old Testament, a few minutes at noon in the Psalms, and evenings in the New Testament. A man's thoughts die his soul. And listen to this. Constantly dwelling in the words of the Lord, Jim, uh, the Lord died Jim's soul, and its color was not hidden from fellow servants. 
there is this principle that the things that we contemplate, the things that we behold, the things that we think about, unconsciously are working a transformation in our own character, in who we are. This is a natural law of, of how things work. And here, Jim Elliot meditated, thought about, contemplated so much on the Bible and the beauty of Jesus that his own character became changed and, and transformed. I want to read this statement from Acts of the Apostles. I was sharing in my Sabbath school class, uh, if there's a chapter that I would highly recommend you reading, it's, it's this chapter in the book Acts of the Apostles. You can Google it. Um, it's free online. And there's a chapter that's called Transformed by Grace. Um, read that chapter because it is so sublime. And um, I spent a lot of good money studying theology for years. And the thing is, there's a lot of confusion out there. A lot of different models. And I read this chapter and I said, here it is, sitting under my nose the entire time. And it talks about the transformation of John, uh, the apostle. And listen to this. This is from 557. As the character of the divine one was manifested to him, John saw his own deficiencies, and he was humbled by the revelation day by day in contrast with his own violent spirit. Remember, he had a temper. He beheld the tenderness and the forbearance of Jesus and heard his lessons of humility and patience. Day by day, his heart was drawn out to Christ until he lost sight of self in love for his master. The power and tenderness, the majesty and meekness, the strength and patience that he saw in the daily life of the Son of God filled his soul with admiration. He yielded his resentful, ambitious temper to the molding power of Christ, and divine love wrought in him a transformation of character. Have you ever been around someone that was so beautiful? I'm not talking about physical beauty, but they were so beautiful in character that you're just like, wow. And there's admiration that comes out. And this is what happened to John. You see, we don't become like Jesus by pulling ourselves by our own bootstraps and say, oh, I'm gonna be like Jesus today. That's not how it works. How we become like Jesus is by admiration, adoration, that ultimately leads to our own transformation. And as I reflected on my own Christian journey, I've come to the conclusion that I've been approaching God too much with my left brain. You know what I'm talking about, left brain? We live in a left brain society where engineers, analytics, now praise God for all of these things. And I believe that we should approach God with both sides of our brain. But in this age, we we tend to be very left brain, and here it is. This is just a, just a summary of left brain and right brain studies. And typically, uh, we tend to lean on one side or the other, and left brain is logic, 
analysis, sequencing, linear mathematics, language facts, thinking words, words of songs, um, computation. So it's the analytical side of the brain. It's all about logic and sequencing and so forth. And if you're an engineer, this is where you're at, okay? And, and on the right side, you have cre creativity, imagination, holistic thinking, intuition. You have the arts, rhythm, music, uh, the nonverbal feelings, visualization, the tune of songs, and daydreaming. So that, that's right brain, and we tend to go between one or the two, and, and what I'm finding in my sermon preparation that, you know, it, I can't do both sides at once because my left brain is the critical, and I can't come up with any ideas if I'm trying to do both sides because my inner critic is continually trying to speak to me. But I found that in my own Christian experience, I've approached Jesus very left brain. In other words, analysis, logic, sequencing, systematic theology, these things are all left brain. But when you look at the nature of what Paul is talking about in beholding, I believe that he's calling us to a more of a right brain activity. Look, if I approached every relationship left brain, there would be no emotion. It would be analysis. Pastor David Shin, Asian, five foot six, receding hairline. You know, those are all like left brain activities, but right brain is, is something more. And notice this, this is from Desire of Ages, page 83. It says, it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the, what does it say? Let the imagination. I mean, is that left brain or right brain? That's right brain. That's right brain. Let the imagination. It didn't say analyze Jesus, although I believe there's times that we need to analyze Scripture. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we do not ha need to have left brain activity. I'm going to have the whole seminary after me, okay? This is not what we're talking about. But here, there is a place for imagination. It says, let the imagination grasp each scene especially the closing ones, as we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. Notice what happens. When you approach Jesus through the right brain activity of imagination and visualization, then there is a corresponding emotion that comes with it. If someone were to ask you, what do you think about Jesus, you would probably have a response, but what if someone said, how do you feel about Jesus? I believe that we live in an age where people think things about Jesus, but the emotion is lacking, and here, the Desire of Ages is calling us to use, I believe, sanctified imagination and visualize the scene as we read Scripture. So this is biblical imagination. So as you read the gospel account of what Jesus is going through in Gethsemane, use your imagination. Picture yourself there. 
What does Jesus look like? What does his face look like? How is the interaction and the dynamics that he's having with these people? And when that happens, there is an emotion that that corresponds with what you are visualizing in Scripture. You know, this is not, I'm not crazy. I mean, I'm not pulling this out of thin air. This is from Thoughts of the Mount of Blessing, page one. Let us in imagination go back to the scene on the mountain. And as we sit with the disciples on the mountainside, enter into the thoughts and feelings that fill the hearts, understanding what the words of Jesus meant to those who heard him, we may discern in them a new vividness and beauty and may also gather for ourselves their deeper lessons. So I want to encourage you to do this, is take Scripture and imagine. Use that right brain and imagine, enter into that scene, and I believe that through this, Jesus will become from a proposition, from an idea, to a person, to a person, to a relationship. And it is through this exercise, I believe, that we can have not only an intellectual relationship with the God of heaven, but also an emotional one as well. Now, I need to put this in there because I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. There is a fundamental difference between biblical meditation and Eastern meditation. I believe that biblical meditation was what came first, but, but look, Eastern meditation is fundamentally different in that Eastern meditation is emptying your mind, okay? getting your mind into a certain wave and so forth, and emptying your mind that through that process. Biblical meditation is, is filling your mind. So fundamental difference, and filling your mind with Scripture. So I believe that God is calling us as a people not just to a behavioristic reform. I mean, what does God want? Just a people that conform on a behavioristic level? Ultimately, God is calling for the thought life. And when we look at the beauty of Jesus, there is an admiration that takes place. As we visualize what Jesus is like, there's an admiration, there's an adoration that ultimately leads to our own transformation. At ministerial meetings uh, this a couple months ago, before camp meeting, uh, all of the pastors were asked to, to share <clears throat> uh, why we're a pastor and why we've accepted the call to ministry. And it's, it's a very personal part of our walk with, with God, the calling to ministry. And um, HMS Richards uh, told people, um, if there's anything else you can do than be a pastor, do that. Because uh, it's not a career, it's a calling. And unless you're sure that you're called. Um, so the pastors, you know, it was interesting, the dynamics in the room, because people are asked, and, and uh, everyone's just kind of like not jumping to, to answer it, because it's a very personal part of our lives, and it's a vulnerable moment. And so I noticed every time the minister director said, who's next, all the, all the ministers just kind of looked down in a way. And, and so finally, my name was called, and, uh, uh, 
And the, the question was, why, why, have you, why are you called to ministry? And I said, look, just to be honest, I haven't been called to ministry because uh, of my talents and abilities um, or even because I believe that God needs me. I said, the only reason I've been called to ministry is because this is the only way that I can be saved. Uh, that's honestly what I believe because I'm a obsessive person. That's my personality. Whatever I do, I become consumed in it. That's the nature of who I am. And I can't be a lay person and have a job and then contribute to ministry because what will happen with my personality is my career will take over my life. So God says, look, this is the only way that David can be saved. And so by the grace of God, he places me in full-time ministry because of my personality. I become consumed in whatever I do. I think to varying degrees, all of us are like this to a certain degree. And what the Bible is presenting is this idea that when we see Jesus and we reflect on who he is, the beauty of who he is draws us to be consumed in that reality, in our thought life. That's where God brings us. Because you can't help but look at who Jesus is and be touched. And that thought, that beauty, just begins to just, you can't get it out of your mind because he is so beautiful. What do you think we're going to be doing in heaven? That's, all of us are just going to be like, I can't believe how awesome God is. And that awesomeness comes out in adoration. You know what adoration is? Worship. That's where worship comes from. It's like you are so amazed at the beauty of God that there springs up in you a desire to adore and worship. That that is the nature. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven because God is so beautiful. And you look at the experience of Enoch and patriarchs and prophets. This is talking about Enoch's thought life. Look at this. The infinite, unfathomable love of God through Christ became the subject of Enoch's meditation day and night. In other words, like the love of God became something that he just, it became his favorite thought. He thought about it in every waking moment. That that was the thing that he was consumed in. That was the thing that he was obsessed about. It, It became his thought life, not something that he just did on the weekends or did on the evening, but it became the favorite place that he went in his thought life. The subject of his meditations day and night and with all the fervor of his soul, he sought to reveal that love to the people among whom he dwelt. That was how Enoch walked with God. And he became so much like Jesus unconsciously but he became to the, came to the very edge of eternity, and God said, look, just, why don't you just come in? I mean, that's what happened. That's what happened, the transformation that takes place. And I found that in my own spiritual journey, 
I have made people or theological systems my model. Just being honest with you. And I've been there to pick up the pieces of the fallout of doing that. And I praise God for His mercy that He's had a lot of grace along the way. But I just have a burden for you. If you want to know the purpose of my sermon today, um, my appeal to you is with me. Let's, for the next 30 days, make a commitment in our own hearts. I'm not going to make an altar call or anything like that, but in your own hearts, to say, they say it takes 30 days to, to make a habit, but to make time in the morning and for a different type of devotion, the type of devotion that's mentioned here in the Desire of Ages, take a passage from the Gospels. Pick a passage where you see Jesus and the interactions of Jesus. And using your God-given imagination, visualize that scene. Reflect on that. Take a journal and write your response to God. And I believe that by the grace of God, that as you do this, that unconsciously there's going to be an admiration that fills your own soul, that leads to adoration, worship, and then an unconscious transformation that takes place in your own heart, in your own life. Do you want to do that today? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Amen? I do. Let us pray. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, oh, Lord, we, we are just grateful today uh, for who you are. Jesus, you are so beautiful. The, the love, the compassion, the forbearance, and the forgiveness. And Lord, today we pray that you would help us to engage you as a person, to behold you in Scripture, to be transformed into the same image by the Spirit of God. So thank you for this gift, and, and we praise you for the work that you are already doing in our lives. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.